0: and so again it's the recovery it's how quickly can you relax one muscle is more important than how you can contract the other muscle so low or high reps in my mind like i'm not sure if it's high reps heavy weight but higher reps usually means less weight Mm -hmm. so less weight means that you can do faster movements and i think faster movements is really what creates speed so the more you can relax one muscle with a fast movement, means then, then you can go back the other way and relax that other muscle and create another fast movement.
1: That was chiropractor Dr. Mark Wetzel speaking on training load, velocity, as well as muscle contraction and relaxation, and how it all relates to the training process. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to another episode of the Just Live Performance Podcast. We are on 116, and today we have Dr. Mark Wetzel. Who is a chiropractic neurologist based out of the Memphis, Tennessee area? Um, if you've been around the show for long, you've noticed a theme. I think I'm a little obsessed with digging into the, the training methods of a guy named Jay Schrader and some of the minds uh, revolving around that. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things I I, I run this podcast because I want to learn. At the end of the day, I love talking to different guests and experts in the field who are just masters of their craft. Um, I'm uh, so blessed to be able to do so. And it's, um, it's a thing where you, you like to think outside the box. You know, I, I've always been a guy who wants to think different. I, I know the big rocks work. They, it's, um, there's, there's no training that we, that everybody does that just doesn't work or no one would be doing it. You know, the, the things we do are pragmatic and, but I'm always looking for, uh, the best way to go about things. I'm always looking for, uh, what's a better way what's an even better way to approach barbell standard barbell training um, everything that goes into being a good athlete so uh, and, and as well with the Jay Strader methods uh, um, one cool thing that actually just happened recently was uh, Kevin Mayer uh, decathlete from France set the world record in the decathlon he broke Ashton Eaton's mark so the the world's greatest athlete and for those of you guys not familiar with track and field I mean decathletes are tremendous athletes I remember Brian, Kay, Brian Clay Uh, former usa champion uh, big time decathlete from probably a a half to a decade ago this guy's jumping 44 inches on the just jump mat i mean these guys are monsters fast explosive uh just fantastic athletes and uh jerome simeon who was on i believe episode 92 who jay schrader had a big impact on his training is kevin's uh strength and conditioning coach physical preparation coach um so enter Mark Wetzel. Um, Mark, I met him just a little bit over a year ago, over in Memphis, Tennessee. Actually, was introduced to him by none other than John Nelson, who is on episode fifty-nine. John, one of the most intelligent and cutting-edge trainers I know, doing awesome work um, down there in Memphis. And so, anyways, was was introduced to Dr. Mark, and man, I just—I'll tell you what, this guy was able to answer all my questions on. The Jay Schrader, the ISOs, um, velocity, energy systems. It's like, it's like they don't teach you this stuff in school. Like you go to X Fiz class, and, and or even research. I get people asking me these questions from time to time about a particular topic, um, like the ISOs. They're like, how do I Google this? <laughs> I'm like, you can't. It's just not. It's just not there. You you have to talk to the people who have had that route from uh, the man himself. And again, um, I'm, I'm a believer in the, the core found, uh, foundation of the system, uh, especially the, the extreme isometrics and going back to that. And everyone I've talked to who's been exposed to the system, regardless of what flavor of the system they've, they've used, what, what exercises they've liked, they don't like, because there is a spectrum. There's things that people like and don't like, but the isos are a staple. And so we're going to spend a lot of time, uh, Dr. Mark and I, uh, talking about that. We're, we're also going to get into some of the energy system talk associated with the long duration isometrics as well as the the inevitable topic that will come up well, is in a long hold like endurance and slow twitch and teaches you to be slow. Um, and in my experience, you that's it's quite the contrary the ISO really actually help promote velocity and promote recovery and the way you feel after doing them is, Really fantastic. And so he's going to talk about that energy systems, as well as a little bit about velocity, muscle contraction, relaxation cycles. And this was just an awesome talk. I was able to take some things that Dr. Mark had said and really immediately use them to enhance the communication style that I was um, creating, the environment I was creating when I utilized some of these tools. So, really beneficial. And I know you guys are going to enjoy this podcast. So, let's get to episode 116 with Dr. Mark Wetzel. Dr. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today, man.
0: Thank you. I appreciate uh, the invite.
1: Yeah. Well, hey, it was a it was a pleasure meeting you. Uh, I think it was just a little over a year ago uh, down in Memphis, and we just such an intriguing conversation, man. I mean, I've been I've been chasing uh, the methods of neurology, chiropractic, and and the work of Jay Schrader as well for a long time, and uh, it was really cool hearing you explain a lot of it. Uh, For those people out there, um, I think there's a lot out there who may not be familiar with you, what you're doing, your background. Could you explain um, how do you get into the performance field, chiropractic, and and where you are now?
0: Well, pretty much all starts back in high school. Um, I was a swimmer my whole life. I swam at Indiana University. And in high school, I was just looking to get bigger and stronger. And I went to the gym one day, I think it was a lifetime, and I was doing some Um, incline dumbbell bench, right? And I was like, all right, I'm gonna do some more weight. And I put them up over my head. And all of a sudden I heard this nice little crunch in my shoulder and I dropped the weight immediately and I could not lift my arm above my head. And so I'm like, great. So being a swimmer, I need my arms. And so actually I was first introduced to chiropractic at that moment. So I went to see a chiropractor and actually I had torn my labrum, um, but not completely. So it was definitely very damaged, but um, didn't need surgery. Um, I mean, they still recommended surgery, but I didn't want surgery. So I sought out chiropractic care. And that's when I first met, uh, who is now my mentor, Dr. John Pietzela, who is uh, pretty much the foundation of what I do um, when it comes to performance and sports chiropractic and things like that. So Anyways, he fixed my shoulder in about two weeks and then also introduced me to a new style of training. And so it made a lot of sense to me then, especially coming off of an injury. And so that's pretty much the basis of how I got started into chiropractic and performance and wanting to better myself and things like that. So um, the, yeah, back in high school, I was kind of exposed to it very young. And like that was the first exposure to chiropractic and training to me. So it's kind of my foundation, right?
1: sure yeah and uh great experiences to have it's always the injuries i feel like that can create like this this quest you know like the person who has the perfect happy athletic life doesn't really get that unique experience
0: yeah yeah i mean season ending injury and it's like wait no i need to swim so you're finding anything and everything to get that fixed
1: <laughs> yeah no doubt uh yeah so let's dig into some some uh, i would call them interesting training topics so isometrics, neurology. Uh, I, in, after being in this industry for shoot like 15 years almost now i you see you see a lot of the same stuff repackaged you know the same you know, different ways to do a barbell complex and all these things and when it comes to athletic performance training though one of the things that i've just been beyond fascinated with is um the isometri- not only isometrics but but the extreme isometrics so uh like the five minute five minute lunch holds and and these things that sound crazy and and weight isn't that endurance <laughs> you know like and uh so could you tell me about a little bit about the science of let's just even say doing uh doing a extreme isometric lunge hold so a a lunge and I'll put this in the show notes too just for people who aren't familiar with the exercise or the movement but uh or maybe explain like what what an extreme isometric is and then a little bit of the science behind it
0: okay so there's a few things that you benefit from, from doing an extreme isometric. Um, I think the term extreme is just a loose term, but really isometric hold is kind of the, the, like what you're going after. And when you do an isometric, right, it doesn't involve movement. Okay. So the bicep, let's just use the bicep and tricep for instance. Okay. One can't contract without the other relaxing. Okay. So, and during an isometric you squeeze both muscles at the same time and you're actually creating a high velocity rate by turning on and off the bicep and tricep very 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 fast and so that in a sense is velocity training okay so an isometric is really velocity training now speed is developed by one's ability to turn on and off muscles quickly okay it's actually more dependent on the antagonist muscle to relax than the actual muscle you're trying to contract. Okay. So back to the isometric, when you're holding a position, okay, the muscles are actually turning on and off so fast. Okay. Now a lunge, for instance, I think the whole five minute approach is that you want to get to failure. And then also when you fail, you want to fail, In an eccentric state okay because an eccentric is relaxation of a muscle okay it's lengthening now if you hold something for five minutes and you slowly fatigue down let's say during a lunge you're actually training to slightly contract one muscle and slightly relax another muscle at each joint angle and so when you train at each joint angle you're actually training through the whole motion as opposed to some people think, well, or some people, when they train, they do a bicep curl, right? They squeeze at the top and then they go back at the bottom. So you're really only training the top and the bottom position. So an isometric, like I said, you're going to eventually fail and fatigue the muscle. And that's what you want, but you want to fatigue the muscle at each joint angle. Okay. And so during a lunge you eventually sink down. And so you're fatiguing and then increasing that joint angle. But you're really, if you're in perfect position, you actually are lengthening the muscle and keeping pressure off the joints, and so therefore you're lengthening muscle, and that's all you're doing, and that's essentially, I mean, what you want. You want longer muscle because then you can contract harder.
1: Yeah, I and so too, as you as you're talking about this, and I'm, I guess I can describe it really quick too, and I, I will definitely have to put this in the show notes, but. The extreme iso lunge, you, you're in a basically a static bottom of the lunge position, and your front thigh should be uh, parallel, front shin and thigh are on parallel to the ground, and then the back leg's fairly straight, like everything's um, everything's lengthening out. One of the things I I notice tend to notice with athletes and people, I think people very often will prescribe the exercise and just let athletes go higher than parallel or something like that, as you. Um, and I always feel like that's athletes trying to kind of weasel their way out of it or something. But so basically you're not doing it right unless you're, um, you're peril or below. And as you fatigue, you have to go down, not up to get the best, um, adaptations as you you're, it's like you're teaching your muscle to be longer throughout the failure points.
0: Yeah. And, um, a really good book explains, I think, uh, Dr. Tommy Johns, he just came out with a book. And it's really simple. So, our body, the human body, adapts best in certain positions. And so, I think Jay usually uses those positions, and then those are the foundations of the isometric holds. So,
1: yeah. So, it sounds position, like. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: I was just gonna say, position is key. So, in the position, your body adapts best in that position. So, if you start to fatigue and your front leg, let's say, bends forward or backwards, and you're out of that 90 degrees. Then you're not creating the most adaptation. So essentially, you're you're putting more effort and getting less gain.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing. I also feel like too, like the the difficulty of these movements. You know, like I mean, we you hear like the five minutes thing, but I it when you're describing them, it sounds like you're really not going to get the best benefits unless there is a a pretty high level of difficulty to the point where you literally can't hold the maybe the parallel position and then you sink lower like a, a few degrees and then you can't hold that and you sink lower. Um, uh, I mean, it's so it, it really, if you're prescribing these at lunge, a push up, uh, a dip, whatever you're doing, there has to be really for maximal effectiveness. There really has to be an element of pretty serious fatigue then.
0: Yeah. I think the five minute just came up just because it would, you know, it sounds almost <laughs> impossible. So you're going to fatigue regardless. But, um, there there is this theory or not not a theory um uh no i'm not going to get into that but the, the the point is is that if you fatigue more then that's actually creating more adaptation so for someone to think that five minutes is like this magic number is kind of flawed because if you get to that point where you can hold it for five minutes you're only fatiguing one time and if you can fatigue multiple times in that five minutes you're creating more adaptation So again, five minutes is just kind of this loose term that has been thrown around, like you need to get to five minutes, but I don't think the time really matters.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And so I want to come back just a little bit to something I mentioned before. And I think this is this is something that I would have initially thought of the system or the the ISO holds. And I've had good experiences with the movements. I I started it but just myself and then. I've seen tons of athletes benefit from it as well. But like the first time I actually did it and really fatigued out and did it for some time, I noticed some really acute performance increases, jump increases, my sprinting just felt better. And I'm like, okay, but this is endurance, right? Like, you know, people would say, oh, it's two minutes, it's three minutes, it's lactate, it's aerobic. I thought everything was supposed to be under nine seconds. (laughs) Um, Can you talk to me a little bit about it from an energy energy system perspective?
0: Yeah, so... some brief background you know we have four energy system cycles that we um, we cycle through and it goes in a linear order so we start with the ATP so the initial muscle contraction and that lasts about two to three seconds Um, once we essentially get into the next one that's the anaerobic phase and this is where you have maximal squeezing capability so you're gonna lift the most amount of weight or push the most amount of whatever it is you're doing within this 27 seconds. And then once you fatigue out of that, then you go into the aerobic phase. And this is the one where the humans usually last the longest, okay, it's the most efficient. This is why we can walk for days on end because it recycles itself very easily. And then the last one's the lactic acid cycle. And um, this one is pretty hard to get into because it's it's uncomfortable. It's It's the burning feeling you get in your legs uh, when you're doing a, you know, a wall sit, and then it's really hard to push through that because you mentally it's it's uncomfortable, and so that lactic acid cycle is really like a last, last, last reserve. Okay, now to get to the lactic acid cycle means that you need to fatigue the three previous energy cycles. Okay, you can't just jump to it. They all go in order. So once you fatigue one, you go into the next. Now the So when you fatigue an energy cycle, okay, you go into the next one. That next energy cycle actually starts the recovery process of the previous energy cycle. So think of like a soccer player and there's the ball gets kicked to them and they're racing in their defender to, you know, get to the ball first. And you have to create high intensity running sprint, right? To the ball you're creating that anaerobic respiration cycle and then you're done and then you kind of jog a little bit so you're actually creating this high intensity in the anaerobic and then when you relax you go into the aerobic phase and you're actually breathing more and you're using that phase to recover your anaerobic phase so that when the ball comes again you can sprint at high velocity maximum power so When you train the energy systems to failure, you're increasing your ability to recover the previous energy system. So if you hold a lunge to the point where it's burning, you know you've actually gone past those three energy systems, and you're creating endurance, right? But then let's say you're kind of like at like a three-minute lunge, right? And it's starting to burn, but then all of a sudden you kind of get this energy where you can squeeze your muscle like harder, so, again, that's that aerobic phase that you're in that recovered a little bit of the anaerobic, allowed you to squeeze, but then you fatigued it, and then you went back into the aerobic phase. So it's this ability to fatigue the energy systems and then allows them to adapt and recover the previous one more efficiently. Now, the thing is, is that the lactic acid cycle, um, again, it's very hard to get into that because it's unpleasant. But the burning sensation in your leg is actually the buildup of lactic acid getting ready to be used as energy. So if you hold out long enough, you can actually fight through the burn and the burning should stop at some point. And if you can hold a lunge for that long, the burning will eventually just kind of get sucked in by the muscles and it'll be utilized as energy and the burning stops and you can still hold the lunge or waltz at whatever you're doing
1: you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster yeah that's a, i feel like that might be a good thing to talk to athletes about when they start to get uncomfortable to be like the energy is just ready to, to, to get to you don't yeah. stop yet um that's uh yeah it's, it's really interesting to think that because yeah i'm in doing them or or really anything right like uh, you're a, at the cross-country race and you watch athletes who are Really fatigued coming into the shoot. Um, a lot of them still have that. Can dig into. They've been using the aerobic system all race, but they can dig into the. the I guess it would be the ATP, CP, or the the, low, the the shorter burst energy systems for that last little bit. Um, yep. Like, it's always interesting that you have something something more. Like, there's always something some way that you can give something more. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things too, and and I need to. This is an area of a little bit of personal research and interest for me is. Um, and I don't know how much you want to get into this, but, and this would also go with the energy system thing, right, too. A lot of people are, there's a lot of coaches who love lactic acid, like lactic acid is growth and, and et cetera. Or and some people who hate it, like I've heard like Russian researchers who like, who are just like, oh, power athletes shouldn't have any lactic acid. There's like a full spectrum, right? Like, is there, mm-hmm. do you have any comments or thoughts in that regards? And I mean, obviously the, the lunges work, so it's like, it's going to be killing you, you know?
0: Well... So remember how I was talking about how the, the energy cycle that you're in recovers your previous energy cycle. So if you can get farther into the lactic acid cycle, you can actually train your body to then use lactic acid as a recovery method. So if you get to a point where you can push yourself so far into lactic acid, stay in the uncomfortable state, the body forces itself to use lactic acid as fuel. And so I think this is very beneficial for really anyone in any sport. Um, because if you ever get tired, well, let's say, well, like the the, the theory is, is that the longer you go into the lactic acid cycle at like a high maximum effort, high velocity, right? Then you train your body to use lactic acid to recover your previous energies. Okay. So then, If your threshold is super high and then let's say you have a game and you never quite reach that threshold, right, then that lactic acid will indefinitely recover you and you will never get tired. So the farther you can push into the threshold of the lactic acid, the more it can recover your kind of daily activities or sports or soccer games or football games. And it creates more energy, uh, sustainable energy. Right. Does that kind of make sense? So like I use mm-hmm. a example, like marathon runners. So marathon runners, you think you need to run a lot to be, get ready for a marathon. Um, but if you train very high intense and push yourself to the lactic acid cycle, right? Like to the point of fatigue months training, and then you go run your marathon and you stay at 75% aerobic capacity, right? you will never fatigue because the lactic acid is continually recovering your aerobic cycle and you can run indefinitely. So this is how people can train for marathons without actually running. Does that kind of make sense?
1: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And I I think when I go through this again, the editing, it's, this is one of those episodes too, by the way, I'm excited because as I go through this again, I mean, just like the note taking process, because it makes sense to me. It's like, it does blend a lot of awesome ideas. And you hear the great track coaches say, it's not just one energy system on at once. It's a blend. They're all working together. How uh-huh. you described it really can help make a lot of sense. And it it also, I think it's cool. And actually, I feel like I inserted the word lactic acid. I might get crap for some people for not saying lactate because, you know, technically it's lactate, the acid, the pH, or whatever. But, I mean, lactic acid is what people know. I get it. Um, and uh, – <laughs> um, But it is interesting to think, you know, I mean, some people are like, you know, oh, you shouldn't have it, but in the system and some people it's great, but it's like, I think what you're saying is good. If you can use it and learn to use it and there's like that mind body connection, right? Some people it's like, oh, it's the burn. It's uncomfortable, you know, and and there maybe it's like a negative thing to it for them and they can't get past it. I don't know. Maybe it is negative for you then. I, I'm just kind of speculating because I've in the, in, I've never had a problem with, um, well, the isos, but then a small amount of lactic or lactate, uh, lactic acid based workouts in my work. I've never had a, a problem with it from, from a power perspective. Um, I just, I just think it's all really fascinating.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, I, I don't see how it, it couldn't benefit anyone. You know what I mean? So why wouldn't you want to train that system? Because, you know, another thing that, you know, I'm not sure we really know or how we know why, but, You know, when you go into those extreme isometrics and if you are somehow, if you get into that perfect position, right, and you're at the bottom most lengthened position and you're able to hold that, it actually trains the whole range of motion through that okay so you only need to train one position like a bench position at the bottom position and it'll essentially train the whole range of motion and so same with the energy system if you train that lactic acid it's going to train all the ones before it too so it's going to benefit any sport
1: yeah i i do think one of the things that i have always enjoyed from what i've heard of jay's system is the the simplicity of it just like making something really simple, really intense. Like let's focus on something really simple and get as much out of this as we possibly can before we just try to go in different directions. And uh, that's always, it's always been something that I've, I've enjoyed uh, One of the questions too, I, I suppose it fits on the same line too, is um, the higher repetitions and, and why can that potentially be fine when developing speed? Uh, maybe this is the same thing, honestly, doing like doing the or let's just say not even an iso but if you're doing like a russian lunge jump for two minutes or something that's really long like you're doing a russian lunge and you're doing a minute or two of it and you're getting really tired um you know we, we'd say oh this is plyometric so it should always be short uh, does this kind of fit into the same thing with the energy systems and trying to maintain
0: that um a little bit so why does high reps increase speed and so I wouldn't say high reps. It's just it's it's how fast you do a rep, Mm -hmm. because speed totally depends on or the the contraction of one muscle depends more on the relaxation of its antagonist. Okay, so if you're doing something slow, then you're essentially training the body to relax that that antagonist muscle slow. So if you do something that's higher reps, you're usually less weight and so you can increase the velocity. Okay, so the velocity is kind of what's key, and, you know, it's very a, a term used a lot in the, in the J programs and things like that, and, and velocity training is essentially your body's ability to relax the antagonist muscle, and you train essentially that way, okay? So it's not about getting one muscle stronger, it's how fast you can relax the other muscle, okay? Because, again, let's just say a curl. Now, if I curl up, like I said, it's more dependent on how much I can relax my tricep, and so the the curling up part isn't necessarily fast, but pushing the weight back down is almost more important, if not, well, as important, if not more important in create in creating speed. So when you do these Russian lunges, right, you're essentially moving your feet back and forth. So you're turning on one muscle but relaxing the other, and then vice versa when you switch the positions. Now. When you start to slow down and see fatigue, um, that's actually when you should stop because then you're training your body to think it's okay to be that slow and relaxed. And so, again, it's the recovery. It's how quickly can you relax one muscle is more important than how you can contract the other muscle. So, low rep or high reps, in my mind, like I'm not sure if it's high reps, heavy weight, but higher reps usually means less weight Mm -hmm. so less weight means that you can do faster movements and i think faster movements is really what creates speed the more you can relax one muscle with a fast movement means then then you can go back the other way and relax that other muscle and create another fast movement so i think that's kind of what i mean i would think of when you know higher reps is is that less weight you're creating more velocity
1: yeah i i look at it like um and I think there's different spectrums of exact you know, some people tend to be more low rep people. Some people tend to do better at higher rep, depending on just a few things in just the gen- very general sense. But I've always felt like the only high rep stuff in terms of uh, the only high rep or longer duration stuff that I've ever felt a real benefit from is speed stuff. It's like, like doing like a Russian lunge for like a minute or something, something where there's always a maximal intention. There's always a maximal contraction. It's almost like you pick up a potentiation from it or even running I remember I used to, I haven't done this in at least 10 years. But I used to have to run 400s, repeat 400s my freshman year um, of college, which I absolutely hated as I was a high jumper too. I'm like, I don't really see the point of this. But I always felt like that third or fourth rep, like it went three minutes rest, like the first 50 meters just felt better and better and better. It's almost like the muscles were learning to relax themselves a little more throughout the, the performance of mm-hmm. it. And I feel like that's like the big thing. There's a there's a cool book that I think is one of the most underrated in the field. It's called Explosive Jumping for All Sports by Tadu Starzinski. This Polish guy was like the late 90s. And one thing that he said that I've always had a lot of value on, he said he talks about just like tempo sprinting, like just going out and doing eight 200s. And most people would be like, well, it's dumb or it's not you know, it's not as fast as you can, but he always talked about it for people with more muscle mass that help them to relax their muscles more. And Charlie Francis talked about it, a neuroelectrical benefit. And I just think about that, like as long as it's a high velocity or a good velocity with the repetition to it, that the the relaxation element, like you were saying, like being able to inhibit um, could override the fact that, oh, this is endurance. Like, uh-oh. Like, <laughs> that's a... Uh...
0: Yeah. I so... mean, that's kind of an ideal way to train, I would think, is like, you do like an 8-200s or a 10-100s, but you have to maintain that high velocity. And if once you drop below, you, you're, you're done. Like You can't keep training because you're training the body to essentially um, pull against each other, right? So if you're slowing down, it's because one muscle is contracting too hard and the other one isn't relaxing enough. And so then you're creating that imbalance. So once you dip down to a certain level and it, and it's, it's quick, I mean, it's within three or 4% of your max velocity, then you essentially, you're training bad motor program and, and it, you, you essentially shouldn't do it. But in this day and age, a lot of, you know, athletes and, and coaches and it's, they, they like to do the mental game, right? Where they all like, oh, just push through it, push through it, push through it, push through it. And you know, in a sense, sure, I could see how it would be beneficial from a mental standpoint, but as far as like an athletic controlling your body efficiency, you're you're kind of down regulating that kind of at the same time. So,
1: yeah, I, you said like, you said something that was awesome. There it was it was you slow down because one muscle contracts too hard and one isn't relaxing enough.
0: Mm mm-hmm. Mhm. So, because because what you're doing then is you're you're training so like. A good example is, again, just you're you're doing a curl, right? So let's say most people in the gym, they do curls, you know, they lift their weight up at the top and then the weight is, is somewhat heavy to on the way down. You don't actually contract your tricep, right? You kind of let gravity pull the weight down. So you're essentially curling up with your bicep and then you're curling down also with your bicep and then you're curling up with your bicep and you're curling down with your bicep. The bicep isn't actually, lengthening because the tricep is not contracting all right so now you're actually training your brain to move your elbow with your bicep and that's very inefficient so one muscle's pulling harder and one isn't relaxing and so you're training to move these these motions that are just very 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 inefficient
1: yeah yeah that that definitely makes sense too it's like you and if you did a high rep, like if you do a high rep set of squats, <laughs> as opposed to something dynamic, and then you try to jump or, or sprint, you're, you're temporarily, at least uh, for the, that short window, you're under fatigue, you're completely shot. I feel like it's not just the fatigue, it's also the sequence, the way you fatigued out in that typical up and down set of squats where the quads are just, you know, the quads Dominance. and glutes are, are com- never off. And then the hamstrings aren't really alternating uh, in the way yeah, exactly. that would be um, athletic. And so, I mean, I, I like... You know, squats for general and you know later on you know down the road but like from that imminent neurology perspective um, I was yeah there's definitely something interesting to it
0: yeah squat is a pretty complex movement and it's a lot of pulling and relaxing and, and pushing and, and, and your body gets confused and it creates a lot of compensation if you don't do it right unfortunately everyone always looks for those numbers though right oh how much can you squat how much can you bench mm-hmm. how much can you deadlift and it creates a, a lot of compensation that is it's hard to you spend more time undoing than, than creating any benefit but I mean undoing is doing good too but you you could do a lot more if, if you just gave up the fact that people need to squat I mean how often do you know in a soccer game or, or volleyball game do you squat like never right it's all about how can you translate what you do in the weight room to be on the field and a squat necessarily, it doesn't do that. Now, if you're just doing it for general fitness to get a good pump and workout, then yeah, squats are great, right? It's a good full body movement. You get a lot of out of it, but from a sport perspective, it's just unfortunate that people look for those numbers. But...
1: Yeah, I think to me, it's like getting a, a big squat just for the sake of getting one. Like I want people to squat and delve big, but not because I train them like a you know typical powerlifter to get there. I want them to get there because we did uh, explosive, powerful work we hone the position, the, you know, the isometrics, um, and even Derek Evely talks about, uh, big, um, periodization and throws guy talks about, uh, throws that are you know, a special throwing power, like kind of cross the gap exercises, the capacity of those also to improve one's squat and one's raw lifts. So I'm like, yeah, I want to, I want a strong lift, but not necessarily because that's you squatted your way to having a great squat, and that was the only thing that got you there. There's always that. Yeah. It's being an athlete, athletically getting there, contracting and relaxing, and yeah. and having good. The pattern. squat
0: should be a test to see if you're actually training correctly. If you're training correctly, your squat should improve. Yes,
1: right? uh, totally, completely agree. I completely agree with that. That's like, and that's that's gold right there. If you're training correctly, it should go up. But mm-hmm. it's just like you can't. Um, I like thinking like you can't you can't make the grass grow any faster by pulling it from the top like and you're just trying to pull your squat up because that's just the end game and you're just getting the rack. It's uh, it doesn't really work like that for being an athlete. Uh, I, that's at least what I uh, started to believe along the way. So uh, super super slow work. Uh, we talked about this a little bit. I mean, is an isometric uh, you know isometric super slow? Uh, what's the distinction? And What's like or, or or let's like how do you address super slow work in training?
0: Um, so the super slow, extreme slow, um, isometrics, they all kind of blend together with me because. An isometric, like I said, is, is your body's ability to hold a position, right? So you're contracting equally between the agonist and antagonist. But at some point, you're going to fatigue that muscle or that. That amount of motor units that is firing equally between the two muscles is is eventually going to fatigue, and then you're going to have to change position or move or slow down or create some sort of motion. And so when you slow down, you are creating one motor, or you're creating relaxation in one muscle and more contraction in the other. And so you're creating, again, a different position, but then now you're able to kind of fatigue this position out and then once you fatigue that position out you go down it more and then you stress that joint angle or whatever that is and that amount of motor units it takes to contract and pull against each other and then you sink down a little lower so the longer that you can stay or essentially the slowest possible amount you can move is better because you want to fatigue out the muscle and kind of each range of motion and so that's going to create um, the balance of when you're translating out of the field because you know we're always moving around and so you want to be just as strong at a 90 degree as opposed to maybe 180 degree or whatever position you have to be in you know wherever that ball is landing you want to be able to catch it at that position and not just train one position does that kind of make sense
1: yeah yeah cool yeah i know um something that was interesting to me too and i found this when i was uh, came and visited you and he hooked me up to the old ARP wave and, and got like the resistance on my hamstrings and then had me do a squat. And I was, you know, go down, you know, just body weight, go super slow on the way down, take 30 seconds and, and just really contract your hamstrings, which actually has a lot to do with um, something else I'm um, working in called Postural Restoration Institute and the way they teach squatting, um, which, or people who have been through the system. It's like, it's always cool to see these great minds collide in this stuff. Um, but You had me do a super slow squat. You know, start at the top, slowly pull myself down with my hamstrings for thirty seconds, which most people would never feel their hamstrings on the way down, right? Like (laughs) they won't even think about it. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's just accordion quads, quads, glutes. You know, it's good. You're getting your quads and glutes, but you know, like there's no, there's very little hamstring thought in in a typical squat. And so, uh, but after I did that a few times, I noticed like I was feeling better and moving better. And then you put the ARP wave back on me, and you could turn it up higher before I was about to you know, screaming pain (laughs) and, uh, and, uh, what, what's going on there when you go through a motion, uh, like a squat or a push up, and you're contracting a certain muscle group going super slow for 30 seconds. What's the emphasis there? What's it, what's it doing?
0: Okay. So an extreme slow, so pulling into position, or let's say you have to lower into a squat for 30 seconds. Um, so this is extremely beneficial because remember one muscle contraction, relies on another ability's muscle to relax. And so if you're contracting one muscle, it's actually forcing the other muscle to relax, okay? So when you think of an explosive jump or on your way up from a squat, right, it's mostly quads, right? You're pushing with your legs, the quad contracts and straightens your legs. So if you're able to contract your hamstring more on the way down, it's going to cause your quad to relax and lengthen out. Now when the quad is lengthened out, it can then contract harder and faster and quicker. So when you're at that bottom position, the quad is at its most lengthened position, then you can shoot up faster. So the extreme slow is essentially just to train your body's ability to contract your hamstring as you're going down, which in that sense, relaxes your quad so that when you reach the bottom you can contract your quad that much harder and you can explode out of it. Um, I think like I said just doing the 30 seconds is just helping you train each joint angle because if I were to tell someone to do that normal speed they would probably drop down not contract their hamstrings and then essentially catch themselves at the bottom position in order to stop yourself from continually falling you have to use your quads so you've contracted your quads already before you even hit the bottom position, and then you're trying to explode up when your quads are half contracted. You're going to lose so much power.
1: Yeah, uh, that's yeah, that's that's a great way of putting it too. It's it's really simple. I mean, it's it's, uh, but it's something that uh, yeah, and, and ever since that that time where we did that, and then uh, just going through some of the the postural restoration too places a big emphasis on the hamstrings in the role of uh, stabilizing the pelvis too and you know, keeping it from. Uh, uncontrollably tipping forward and then it's rolling role in respiration and those types of things so I think you just get a lot of really cool, good worlds a lot of good things happening in those um, in those scenarios and get integrating hamstrings into squats so it's definitely something I've been uh, thinking about and working a lot on uh, one thing I wanted to say too and, and I don't know if this fits in with the ISOs or some other things we've said but I, Jay used the term I, I believe or I've heard it is that velocity recovers velocity recovers things um does that fit in with what you were saying with the energy systems before, like working the ATP, CP, the fast as you can recovers the other systems Is it a neural thing. Um, what's, uh, what's going on there?
0: I mean, that is definitely one tidbit that, uh, Jay preaches and and I don't think we really know why, but, but clinic or, um, when we put it to the test, it, it clearly does, right? We, we see the results and, I, so when I think of, not from an energy system standpoint, from a muscle standpoint, so um, a lengthened muscle is recovered, right? Because if you use a muscle and you start contracting it, remember it requires more energy to relax the muscle than to contract it. So when you run out of its ability to relax the muscle, it stays contracted. And so that's a tight muscle and that is essentially a fatigued muscle, right? You can't move it anymore. So in order to recover it, it needs to lengthen back out. And usually in about 24, one to two days, um, the muscle kind of lengthens out by itself, right? But if you're able to speed up that process, You can lengthen out a muscle by what? Contracting its antagonist. And so the faster you can contract a muscle, the more you create relaxation in another muscle, or vice versa. The faster you relax one muscle, the more you create contraction in another muscle. And I think that velocity, the faster that you can relax a muscle, it becomes recovered. So then that muscle, then, in a sense, is recovered, so high velocity then is going to recover that muscle. So, I mean, it's it's interesting to think of it, but like think of like a player running down the field. So if you have kind of perfect position when, when you're striding forward, you know, you're contracting your hip flexor and your quad, you know, equally so that it can relax the hamstring and glute and then that when your foot hits the ground, then you're able to pull with the hamstring harder because it's relaxed, because you utilize the quad during the front swing to contract and relax the hamstring. So the quicker you can go back and forth between that, the the quicker you will recover yourself. So you can, in a sense, you run down the field, you can recover yourself while you are running. Now then, obviously, you then go into the energy system standpoint, where you're eventually going to fatigue out from a mitochondrial state where you just can't produce enough atp but then that's why you go into the isometrics and then if you're able to push through that lactic acid and and build that barrier up then you in that sense won't the the lactic acid will always recover your previous energy systems and then again you you won't fatigue out so the higher the velocity it just it the the higher relaxation you know the more you can relax the muscle quicker the the more it creates recovery and i and i think in a sense that's that's how i can explain it other than that like I, i really don't know why velocity recovers but just the lengthening of a muscle is what recovers it so the faster you can lengthen it you know the faster you recover the only way to create speed is you know high velocity therefore velocity then would recover it so i think just kind of got jungled around that just in a sense velocity recovers now obviously through the years it's been thrown around and everyone's just like well how can velocity recover but when you think of the muscle standpoint a lengthened muscle is recovered and so that's Again, that's the only way I can really think of it.
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's good to keep things simple, too. I mean, that helps me. Out. It helps me when I create those pictures and creating training programs or thought process, processes. So that's cool, man. Wait, well, hey, I got one more question for you, and that's um, just integrating chiro- your chiropractor, integrating chiropractic into performance training. And I've had you know, Dr. Tommy John on as well. Um, and I think the reason that he got into chiropractic was seeing the benefits and the interplay of sports performance chiropractic. Um, what can sports performance learn from chiropractic and specifically
0: chiropractic uh, neurology? Yeah, so um, chiropractic um, is, is, I mean, I think is very important when it comes to sports performance training. Um, one thing is that um, people don't realize, but 70% of the muscle strength comes from your brain telling it to work. Okay, and 30% is kind of that aspect, what you do in a gym, in a sense, where you're trying to build like muscle fibers in increased size. So that 70% plays a huge role, and chiropractic can help increase that rate of 70%. Right, an adjustment to me, again you create a very high velocity, and an adjustment creates a lot of velocity, which then creates a lot of feedback back to your brain. And so if you can adjust people in certain ways where you can start to activate or strengthen certain pathways back to your brain, it increases the amount of motor units that you can produce and go back out to your muscles and essentially get you to um, control your muscles better, being able to turn on and off muscles quicker. And so chiropractic is just a, is a helpful tool that you can use to increase that, you know, the velocity, strengthen pathways, the neurological feedback that you send to your muscles, the motor units. And so you can kind of go about it two ways. And you can, you can incorporate chiropractic in, in, an, in a training session where, where you can kind of work specific movements and really strengthen certain pathways and get things working properly, which is kind of more like a high-level intensity training. Or just simply making sure that your your muscles are firing like before a game or after a game to help recover, to, to control your body better, relax those muscles. And so chiropractic is, I mean, we're just scratching the surface of chiropractic and performance. And I think the the, the neurological standpoint is, is all about strengthening those pathways just so that you can control your body better. And the only way you do that, or one way you do that is with an adjustment, an adjustment you can move the body quicker than you can move it yourself and so you're creating more feedback because you can't move it yourself that fast but with an adjustment you can create really 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 you know high amounts of feedback and so that's how you can kind of integrate it with it with the training or recovery or or being proactive with it and and like i said it's it's we're really just scratching the surface so i mean it can go a lot of different ways so
1: yeah, the future of the field, I think, is just really exciting, especially as more of this interdisciplinary uh, system. These worlds are colliding on each other that are really helping and impacting each other. Uh, Dr. Mark, where uh, if people want to catch up with you, or is there anywhere people can find you on the Internet or social media or anything?
0: Uh, yeah, um, I definitely have an Instagram, uh, Facebook. Um, I have uh, my own clinic here in Memphis, Tennessee. It's called New Era Chiropractic. Um, websites newerachiropractic.com, my Instagram is docmarkwetzel, um, Facebook is Mark Wetzel, message me. I, I'm pretty good at responding. So,
1: awesome, man. Well, hey, Dr. Mark, thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate talking to you this morning. It was really cool. So, um, thank you again.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for tuning in today. I uh, hope that episode armed you with, uh, if if not, tools in your tool belt. Which, by the way, I do have the extreme ISO lunge in the show notes. Uh, if you've been around this podcast, you've probably seen it. Um, but also just ways to coach it and teach it. It's it's not uh, what you do; it's it's how you do it, right? Like that's where the rub is. That's what makes that's what distinguishes the great from the elite. And um, I know that for myself, and I'm sure you, there's there's just new ideas and thoughts and how to. You know, fail down if you're going to do the ISOs, fail down, don't cheat up. You're going to hurt yourself in terms of your results and probably your pain in the single muscles you're isolating as a result of losing position. Anyways, good stuff. Um, if you like the podcast, don't hesitate, leave us a rating review on iTunes or Stitcher. Help share uh, what we are doing with your community and the greater sports performance community as a whole. Uh, also, visit our sponsors simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high end. Training Technology, also have a great blog, job board, really cool site for all things sports, performance, and tech. Uh, We will see you guys next week with the man himself back on again, David Weck, and we're going to have an awesome biomechanics conversation throwdown. You guys are going to love that one. We'll see you soon.